in China podcast, where a British and an American girl satisfy all your curiosity and questions about what it's like to live in China today. And now your hosts, Holly and Nora. We're back. We are. This is episode one hundred and twenty-two of the Two White Chicks in China. Thanks for joining us again. Yeah, just before we start, I want to say thank you to everyone who's listening, who's left us a review, and also to those people who have supported us on Patreon, including Edward, who recently increased his pledge. Thank you so much, and also to Bob, who left us a very generous donation. We really, really appreciate it. It's awesome. We are slowly creeping up towards our goal, which is—it's a small goal, but once we reach there, that can kind of give us a clue that you guys are interested in seeing some videos and other content from us.、Uh, so, Nora, do you have a fact about China for us this week? Yeah, so we have been touching on a bit of this face recognition、mm. software that's become a hot topic in China recently. We spoke in previous episodes about some people who were found that were lost because of the use of facial recognition. Recognition software, and now there's a high school in Hangzhou that's recently introduced the classroom behavior management system. Oh, I saw this.、Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes.、Yeah, so this is, you know, the netizens have gone wild with opinions on either side of the argument. So it says, and this is from What's on Weibo. With the help of in-class camera, students' attendances and facial expressions are captured and recorded. The system can identify key classroom behaviors such as Standing, writing, reading, listening, raising hands, and sleeping in class. That's all they do. I、Just、know this、functions. is crazy. <laughs> the system is even advanced enough to capture the subtle facial expressions in class. One of those school officials told Chinese media, "This data system can be used to analyze the behavior of the entire class, and of course, this is a very efficient way to check class attendance." So the system can measure students' emotions based on their expressions. These expressions include anger, sadness, surprise. And annoyance. <laughs> so this is nuts. Like this is something that in the states, these kind of things, you know, you'd have to go through so much red tape to be able to get this approved、right. at a school. But in China, it's like anything、yeah. goes. It's、They、a complete have... invasion of privacy.、Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's very little ethical controversy for、mm-hmm. these kind of things that go on. They just implement them, and if parents don't like them, then they just take their kids out of the school. I、mm-hmm. guess the schools here have a lot of. Yeah. Saying what happens because it's so competitive to get your kids into a school. Yeah, I don't know if it's it says it in this article. Maybe it was another website that said they were also tracking whether the kids were sleeping in class as well. And also, <laughs> this isn't the first time that this same school has been using the facial recognition software. They've been using it since last year in order for the students to order their meals. So they claim that you can order their meal in like eight <laughs> seconds. So then you know they order the meal and they pay for it all using the facial recognition、right. software,、what? and then the parents can track what the kids are eating. So like an angry face for noodles, <laughs> and a surprised face for dumplings or something. Yeah, I don't think that they actually like make the order for the food、oh. with the. I think they just know who it is. So it's a form of payment is just showing your face, and then it tracks, and then it. Has Has like reports that it sends to the parents. My idea's better. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>、mm, noodles. 
So in December of last year, the Chinese media outlet The Paper reported on just how advanced China's massive surveillance system had become. BBC correspondent John Sudworth was invited to test the facial recognition system in Guiyang, China. It took police less than seven minutes to locate Sudworth and to arrest him on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Yeah, so wow. it's, that's crazy. It really makes you wonder. Like I think I've mentioned, I'm a little bit of a true crime buff. <laughs> Inter- I find it very interesting. And there are crimes in China, like quite nasty crimes. I'm really surprised that those things can happen when basically we're being watched constantly. Well, I guess there's still. I mean, China's huge. It's that's not there's every some square empty corners. Mm-hmm. But on that spot, I just want to give a shout out to Sup China because、mm-hmm. they just started doing this series of true crimes. Yeah, yeah. Know, so I, I they have—I forget what they call the section of their website, but they have an area that talks about like unsolved mysteries、yeah. in China, and it's really good. So I recommend if you're curious about these. Darker matters to check out. Sub China's column. I think it's called like unsolved mysteries yeah, or something like yeah. that. We can link to it because is I've been reading those. They're really good. I'll send Holly the link to put in the show notes. That'll be at writtenchinese.com/episode122. So how about the news? What's going on? Well, this is from the South China Morning Post. The headline is "Electric Car with Secret Compartment Used to Smuggle Phones and Smartwatches from Hong Kong to Shenzhen." This This is not a rare occurrence. There's a lot of smuggling going on, but the big thing about this is that it's the, apparently the first ever electric car <laughs> to be used to transport goods. Like that's the emphasis in this、oh. article. <laughs> Uh, mine was, you know, I was more interested in the fact that these electric cars have like a, a battery thing underneath in the undercarriage of the car, and they'd somehow managed to convert one third of the battery case into this secret compartment where they were able to hide, get this, one thousand five hundred and seventy-six mobile phones, what, two hundred and twenty-eight smartwatches, and forty-five hard disks. How do you fit、what? that many things into a battery case under a car? I mean, they weren't all in in、they、their boxes and stuff. Unwrapped, they were loose.、Yeah. Yeah, all the stuff was worth eight million Hong Kong dollars, which is about a million US. Not bad, and、wow. it would be sold for about nine point four million Hong Kong dollars in the mainland after taking tax into account. I am guessing if it was sold, it would be worth that much. In China, I mean, the reason that they're smuggling is because when you buy these kind of goods in Hong Kong versus China, they're usually cheaper because China has high import taxes. Yeah, I think it's implying that if they were sold in China, that's how much the stuff would be worth. Five men, I think, from Hong Kong, they were all they were arrested and charged. But now I didn't know this, but importing and exporting unmanifested cargo now carries a seven-year jail term and a two million Hong Kong dollar fine. Wow, that is not small change. <laughs> wow, wow, wow. Yeah, they're serious. serious. Our question today、uh, comes from B two, and she's from Argentina. And she asks us, or she she tells us, I wanted to let you know that I'm thinking about moving to China、uh, around August, and I was wondering about epilepsy in China, having seizures and getting medication, etc. And as usual, I just want to preface and say that Nora and I are not health professionals; we have no qualifications. This is all stuff we've researched, or things that we know about China. If you have a serious illness, then you should definitely speak to your own doctor or make contacts in China if you need to get medication here. 
Hong Kong will be way easier. Yet, I mean, if you're coming to southern yet, China, yeah. start with Hong Kong and then see what they say. Maybe they can recommend some facilities here mm-hmm. in Shenzhen or even in greater China. Maybe they can do that for you. This is definitely related to an episode that we did recently about autism and mm. mental health in general in China. So I think there's a little bit of crossover. And certainly, like we mentioned in the one about mental health, is the stigma is going to be there for you here in China. People here just tend to hide these kind of disorders. It's seen as unacceptable in society. So rather than help people, they tend to stray away from people who have these kind of issues. So that goes for any kind of mental health disorder or neurological disorder. So just be aware of that, as we mentioned in the episode previously. Yeah, there's a lot of fear about these kind of neurological diseases. People just don't understand enough about them. There is no or very little education and instead of asking questions and learning, people just, they believe things like epilepsy is contagious, for example, Mm. um, which is quite mind-boggling in this day and age. I discovered that behind migraines and strokes, epilepsy is actually the third most common neurological disease in China. Yeah, because of the the stigma attached to epilepsy, as you said, Nora, most people hide this disease. And not only does the person who suffers from the disease hide it, but their family will also try and hide this fact. But this goes for any abnormality too. Like if you have a physical ailment, they also, yep. Or like, let's say if you can't have children, they don't talk about this kind of thing. They just hide it or cover it up and pretend like it's not there. Right. Actually, that's a great way for me to tell you about this piece of information that I found. Because, as you said, even if you can't if you can't have children, it's not talked about, which is obviously a massive deal if you want to get married. If you can't have children or if you're diagnosed with any sort of illness, in this case, epilepsy, if you're diagnosed before marriage, in most cases, the sufferer is actually denied a marriage license in China. I found a website and it listed all the things that will go against you if you want to get married. And of course, and I say of course, the sad reality is if you suffer from epilepsy, it's recommended that you don't have children. A lot of people get fired from their jobs, especially if you've got children who suffer from epilepsy. A lot of parents are afraid that their children can catch this disease as well. Yeah, they won't want their kids to play with your kids. I also think, I mean, it's a little bit different though as a foreigner. There's a really interesting blog by an American who has epilepsy. We'll put the link in the show notes. She talks about her, she's actually here in Shenzhen, she's still here, and she talks about her life here with just dealing with day-to-day things and her condition. She mentions about like anybody who has (laughs) photosensitive epilepsy, that's going to be tricky because I think it seems like a lot of these, so epilepsy and seizures in general seem to have a lot of different triggers. Triggers, yeah. Yeah, and it seems like a lot of it is based on certain chaotic stimuli. Yeah. So, for example, flashing lights, loud noises, Mm. music. Sometimes people even get seizures because of music. Or even large crowds. Yep. So I think (laughs) when you think about those things and you think about life in China, it doesn't really bode well right like here you're constantly bombarded even Mm. when we come into our office 
waiting for the elevator, there are two TVs blasting ads at us. And then actually inside of the elevator, there's also a projection screen. Yeah. Anytime the elevator doors are closed, it's showing ads to us, mm -hmm. moving pictures. So you can't really escape. It reminds mm -hmm. me of the episode of Black Mirror where the guy just like lives mm -hmm. in a box oh, yeah. and he has to pay not to see the ads. Because yeah. <laughs> that's how it's starting to feel sometimes right. here. Just things are constantly trying to grab your attention. Mm -hmm. And I think if you're sensitive to lights or this kind of stimuli, it's going to be really hard yeah. to deal. Yeah, I think to a point you can so sort of like zone out a little bit. I think after a while you just become so used to it that, you know, you can ignore things to a point, but I imagine if you suffer from epilepsy or, or have seizures, that's just impossible. You've got, I guess you must have to be like on your guard all the time. Well, it's really interesting, this woman talking about her experiences in Shenzhen with this. And she says she hasn't so far had an issue in public where it's happened. She'll mm -hmm. feel, she can, I guess you can like feel it coming on. Yeah. So she's always been able to get back to her apartment. Um, but she said she, she's, she has some strategies that she's given mm -hmm. in, to cope, like to wear headphones or I assume like any way that you can kind of be in your own bubble uh -huh. and shut out all this chaos that's going on around you will uh -huh. help. But mostly I found it interesting from her article how positive she was about yeah. living in China. Mm -hmm. She seemed very realistic, like she made a comment kind of at the end of the article and said, although things may be more extreme in China, she could live in a big city in, in the US or anywhere else in the world. These things may set off a seizure for her and she can't stay inside all the time. It sounds like she's learned to just deal with this condition. I thought it was really eye-opening how she said, although yes, okay, China is not necessarily the ideal place you'd imagine dealing with something like this. But she said that living in a place like this actually offers her a sense of freedom that she never got in the States. Because in the U.S., I guess you can't really drive if you have no. a condition like this. Definitely and not. so in the U.S., it's really difficult mm. to get around if you don't yeah. drive. You have some places that have okay public transportation, but generally they're not 24 hours a right. day. And so you have to... You just don't have the same kind of freedom as a person who doesn't have to deal with that stuff. Yeah. And so in China, she she spoke about how free she feels here because she's able to just get around to all these different places freely without the use of driving. It's just something that I hadn't thought about before and considered that because initially I was like, oh, there's no way this is a good option. Sounds like she's really enjoying her life. She's been here now for several years. Yes. In a way, we, we already knew before we researched this what I was going to find. That article was a pleasant surprise. I found a research paper that was done about epilepsy in China. The researchers went to various parts of the country and asked people what they thought about epilepsy and what epilepsy meant. And so this is a quote from uh, this man. He's aged 37 years, uh, years and he was a community leader living in an urban area. And he said, this is a translation. He said, quote, no psycho disease can be radically cured. The patient has to take medicine for the long term. It impacts on daily life seriously, increasing the burden for the family. They can maintain things well if they persist with taking medicine, but cannot be radically cured and will have seizures easily when being anxious, angry and tired. It is therefore a heavy economic burden and a psychological pressure to the patient and the family." End quote. A lot of the quotes from people were very similar to this. Again, as we've mentioned so many times before, it often comes back to the family and how the effects of an individual, how it will affect the family as a whole unit. 
going back to keeping things a secret it's because they don't want to be a burden on people i came across a video and i i'm going to link to this in the article because it was pretty heart-wrenching to be honest to watch this the story it's called guo chung's story and this is a lady who developed epilepsy i think in her 20s and she said although i work colleagues were they understood and they learned they didn't really want to work in close proximity to her anymore and in the end she was a teacher and she was moved to one school and then another the school and then she ended up eventually working in the library and this part to me is the worst thing she said she was surprised that her husband didn't reject her but in fact he became more caring and I was just like that's that's unbelievable that she assumed that because she had this disease that her husband would just be okay well that's it we're done now you know but he he actually supported her and looked after her <laughs> although something I would assume most people would do but I guess not <laughs> yeah actually that brings up another point about just just helping people in general people are way less likely to help someone who I'm not sure what kind of reaction you would get if somebody had a seizure in the middle of the street but I don't believe it would be a very positive one because I think people are just afraid and they don't know what's going on and in general people here are very suspicious with helping strangers whether that's a cultural reason or it's based on accounts of people who have gotten into trouble for helping strangers in need they some of the people legitimately needed help but then sensed that they could get something from the person who was helping them and so they got wrapped into these lawsuits and some of them were just straight up cons to begin with anyway the point is people aren't always ready and willing to give a lending hand if they see somebody suffering in front of them so that's also Mm -hmm. a little bit concerning regarding living in China I have a few thoughts on that I think that you'd probably end up having a crowd around you if it happened to a Chinese person on the street there'd probably be a crowd I don't think many people would help however I almost think that in this case, I would hope that someone might call for a doctor or an ambulance. But I've known cases back home where... I've seen people have fits and people are desperate to help but in fact they do more damage because they don't know how to take care of someone who's having a fit. I I almost think that in this case it might be a good thing Hmm. that people don't rush in and try and like hold the person down because that can cause damage to them. Maybe that's it. Maybe that could be a good thing. But we've heard stories. There was an older man on the metro. I don't think it was in Shenzhen. I think it might have been in Shanghai and people rushed to help him. I don't know if that was an age thing because you know in China people really respect their elders so perhaps that was a I mean he wasn't old old but perhaps that was part of it I'm just remembering a flashback of that video from a CCTV camera of a foreigner fainting on the metro and then everybody around him oh, yeah. just running away yes, I just that. running away in panic yeah and then when they get like when, then when the doors um, open everybody gets off the train or, or like, stuff. I remember that. they're not yeah. even at their stop but everybody's just panics and gets off the train and then this poor yeah. guy is passed out in the metro so there's yeah there are stories that are positive and also <laughs> negative I guess the metro staff came in and attended to him yeah. so I'm sure he was yeah. fine but it's just this mentality of they don't know what it is they don't know who it is and they're just not very eager to get involved because they're worried about consequences to themselves yeah uh, as for the getting med- medication unfortunately a lot of people in China they say up to 63% of patients with epilepsy aren't getting the proper medication and support they need in China but I think a lot of that is because they live in rural areas because 
because they're trying to keep it secret. They don't want to go and see a doctor. I think if you were in China and you needed uh, medication or you needed help, it will be available for you, especially if you're in a bigger city. I'm sure that that's not a problem. But yeah, as we said at the beginning of the show, I think if you're coming, if you're going to be in the south of China to go to Hong Kong first, I'm not sure what kind of medication you would need. Is there a way to bring it with you or I'm not, I'm not sure. Well, again, we're not super helpful on these matters, mm. but maybe we'll give you a little bit of an insight into what it's like to live in China with epilepsy or other kind of seizure disorders. If you have further questions, please drop them in the show notes at writtenchinese.com slash episode 122, and we will do our best to find the answers for you. Or if you are out there living in China and you suffer from epilepsy or you have seizures, we'd love to hear like how you deal with it day to day. Before we finish, Nara, do you have a word of the week for us, please? I do. So the word of the week is save me <laughs> in case you are in a situation where you need that so it's jiu ming so it means like save me or help help <laughs> cool all right well i will link to the dictionary in our show notes which will be at writtenchinese.com slash episode 122 as well as links to articles that we have mentioned in the show if you want to ask us a question you can go to writtenchinese.com slash voicemail we like to hear your voices <laughs> thanks for listening bye, bye.